Hello, my name is Abdul Majid. And I'm Doc Siraghi. And you're listening to the Pit Lane Chatter Podcast. It's the Bahrain Grand Prix, and it's lights out, and away we go! Alright, so welcome everyone to the third episode of the Pit Lane Chatter Podcast. This is the first off-week episode we've had. So since there's no race this weekend, we have told you guys that in this instance, we're going to have a talking point about Formula 1. And this weekend, we have chosen to debate about the concept of whether it's the card or the driver. But before we get into this extremely juicy debate, we have a bit of data that we would just like to talk about for a bit. And it is what some people on socials are calling the World Destructors Championship. We have the list of yeah. every single driver and the costs that they have cost that even in terms of accidents. And well, let's just start talking about it because there are some big shockers. So we're just going to speak about the shockers. And let's start with the highest, which is not completely surprising. Logan Sargent at 3.9 million. Daksh, take us away. Oh no, massive shocker. Like the fact that he is at the top. Yeah, sure. Everyone expected that. But he is over a million dollars ahead of the second place driver. And the fact that he scored Williams out of all teams, a team that's a team that's struggling with budget, barely has uh barely has any money to develop their car further and make it one of the best teams based on what they were in the past. The fact that he's costing their teams four million dollars in damages and mostly just like purely silly errors. And now he doesn't have the best car. He doesn't have the best grip. And he can't be expected to drive the car perfectly. He's a rookie. But $4 million, considering that he's fighting for a contract for in 2024, and he's the only driver on the grid who doesn't have it, this is a very disappointing number. A really disappointing and number. And that's a very disappointing. $4 million in damages. My God, especially for a team like Williams, who struggled financially, $4 million is not good, especially when compared to the person in second place who, surprisingly, it's Sergio Perez in second place. But Sergio Perez is about $2.8 million, which, when you put the gap between Sergio Perez, that's $1.2 million. That's a lot of money. But Sergio Perez, second place in this World Disruptors Championship. It's simply unacceptable. But then again, I also feel just recently in the last 10 races, not recently, like completely towards the second half of the season so far, there's been a lot of pressure on Sergio Perez because because of his poor performance and he's always automatically going to be compared to Max. And Max is almost doubling in points, hundreds of points ahead of him. So he's going to be compared. But the fact that an F1 driver can't deal with the pressure and is sending his car into the wall and Red Bull has a really solid engine. It's really, and it's not breaking down often. I think there was just one uh, engine breakdown which made Perez retire. But aside from that, Perez is a really solid car and he should not be causing his team this much in damages. It is simply unacceptable. Sergio Perez can't be this slow when it comes to this. $2.8 million for the team. Now, although for Red Bull, they are, they are a team that doesn't struggle financially, it's still not good because it has a lot of showing on the driver's capabilities and we have heard the rumors about Perez being removed from Red Bull. This will not help him go into another team since other team since no top team would want to take him and the top team seats are filled and other teams struggle financially so they definitely want to take a, a driver who has a lot of damage under his name and well similar to the 2.7 million we have Stroll Lance Stroll at 2.6 million but unlike Sergio Perez Lance Stroll's seat will never be under pressure 
So Landstroll obviously has daddy's money and daddy's money only comes if Landstroll is there. So his seat is on the thread. He's got millions of dollars through his daddy and that's never going to stop. But Landstroll just, he's been a very disappointing driver this season. I think he's 10th on the, on the Drivers' Championship as compared to uh, the other Aston Martin driver, which is his teammate. And he's doing really well. Like, Alonso is doing really well this season. And he's outperforming the car, absolutely. But the disparity between the two. He is just doing so badly. And he's going to be compared to Alonso. And the fact that he's poorly performing. If he was in any other team. And he did not have uh, his father back him financially. He would be in a tough spot. This is just unacceptable from Lance Stroll. million for the team and especially with his performances it's not justified Stroll is not a good driver he should not be on the grid but we can't do anything about it because Lauren Stroll has power over the Aston Martin F1 team so there's nothing we can do about it but Stroll is going to be there he doesn't deserve to be there and it is just one of the biggest tragedies in Formula 1 Lance Stroll so just Going down on the list, I'm pretty sure Gasly, Albon, Ocon are pretty much where you would expect them to be based on their performance this season. Doing really well, but have the pressure to get their team some sort of points. So I guess it's kind of acceptable to some extent. While it is large sums of money, it you can there's a side that can justify it. Because compared to their teammates and compared and they're outperforming their car and doing pretty well. So I guess that's justifiable. But just one shocker on this list is Oscar Piastri with a 16 with a 1.6 million dollar damages. So to be completely honest, I'm surprised it's this low. He, Oscar Piastri is a rookie and seeing where the other rookie Logan Sargent is performing, you'd expect Oscar Piastri to be higher but 1.6 million dollars, he's a rookie, is pretty surprising it is at this stage. Although it is pretty high compared to the rest of the people on the grid. He's a rookie, he's prone to make mistakes, $1.6 million, especially for Oscar Piastri's performances, all I can say is, this driver has impressed me this year. And the $1.6 million, I, at least a million must have come from the start of the season where he wasn't that impressive. I mean, obviously impressive considering the fact that he's a rookie, but he wasn't doing that well at the start of the season, obviously because of McLaren's bad card, and they did not have that much grip around the turns or anything. But... Towards the end of the season, I believe, I believe that I think he would be at the lower end of this list. You know, now we have the Ferraris, which I'm kind of surprised that it's Carlos Sainz then Charles Leclerc. Charles Leclerc this year, he has been very inconsistent. He's either had really good performances or unacceptable performances. And a lot of it is due to his inconsistency. And when he's in his lower end of consistency, he makes a lot of mistakes. And we have seen that Charles... The description that I give Charles, one of the fastest raw drivers, but he's way too raw. He makes way too many mistakes. And considering the amount of mistakes, I'm surprised he's not higher than Sainz. So, it's kind of does question Sainz that has he just been unseen in his crashes compared to Charles. So, Charles being under Sainz, it's a really good thing. It's something I love seeing, but I'm not going to lie, it shocked me. And it, it's pretty shocking to see Sainz is above Charles. I thought Sainz would be much below. It's just like disappointing me honestly and the rest of the list is basically i believe that the 800 to 1500 is basically uh uh, the 800,000 
to fifteen hundred thousand dollar range is pretty much acceptable considering the season and the amount of crashes and everything. So I believe that's an acceptable level. But just some of the cars that have absolutely shocked me. First of all, Hamilton, if it wasn't for the recent crash, he would be a lot lower on this list. <laughs> that was unfortunate. And I wish we had recorded the segment before the race. But unfortunately, Hamilton uh, caused himself like at least four hundred five thousand uh, dollars in damages because of the crash in the Qatar Grand Prix. But besides that, pretty impressive from Hamilton and Russell. But the real shocker is Valtteri Bottas in third place, only costing his team $575,000. Especially for that Alfa Romeo is, it's not the most controllable car on the planet. And I feel like this really shows Bottas' caliber. I feel like Bottas is probably one of the best second drivers the team can get. He comes up there with pace for a second driver. He's very obedient in terms of handing over positions when necessary. And this is another showing of why Valtteri Bottas is one of the best second drivers you can get. $535,000, it's really low on this list, third lowest actually. So it shows of how he won't cost the team much money. And Bottas is just a really good second driver, but he's just not up there for first. But you know who is up there for first? And who is the bottom two of this list? So Fernando Alonso and Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen isn't leading something. Yeah, he's completely last on this list where if you flip it around to figure out most impressive why Max Verstappen will be leading. What what has Verstappen done wrong this year? You want to know what he's done wrong this year, Dutch? Nothing. There's nothing that he's exactly. done wrong. There's nothing. He's placed foot right. And my God, Max Verstappen, what an impressive season. And this just backs it up even more. $220,000. Wow. Like you just so simply, entire season. You as much as you look, you just can't find any flaws this season. He's had yeah, the most flawless season in like in uh, contemporary Formula One and it's absolutely very impressive. And then there's Alonso considering this performance this season, really good, absolute control over Aston Martin, doing really well and three hundred and fifty thousand dollars for Aston Martin is Nothing, basically. So, Fernando Alonso, very impressive. And to be honest, yeah. To be honest, I am not surprised by Fernando's performances here. Fernando is the most experienced driver on the grid, the most experienced driver in Formula One. And I would say he is one of the best drivers in the world. Not the best driver of Formula One, but one of the best drivers in the world for his range in championships. So I'm not surprised. He knows how to handle this car. He knows how to handle many other cars, and he definitely knows how to keep a track in on the how to keep a car on the track and on the wall. That's true. And unless you have anything else to say, we are concluding this segment and going into a segment that I'm actually very excited about: the driver or constructor. And this is a massive segment because. Both of us have completely different opinions. Majid says that the constructor, the car, is the most important part. And I say, still, despite Formula 1 changing a lot, I still feel that driver is that the driver's capability defines how good they are and their position and caliber as a team and points on the table is still defined by the drivers. So, who wants to start with the claim? You want to go ahead or I'll go ahead? You can go ahead. I'm in Jensen. Okay. Okay. So, the constructor 
when it comes to the driver-constructor debate, I would say the constructor is more important because a driver could be at the peak form, a driver could be one of the best performing drivers on the grid, but when you hand him a car that's not capable, you can't, don't expect the driver to do anything. Now, I would give an example that mainly will hit you hard. That is Lewis Hamilton. So now, <laughs> that little smoke on your face. <laughs> Lewis Hamilton. So at the end of 2021, Hamilton was definitely still in form. We saw that he was able to race in 2021. So why wasn't he able in 2022? You know why? That Mercedes was not competitive enough in 2022. Mercedes messed up. They didn't make a car. Hamilton was still fast in the start of 2021, but he couldn't fight because the car wouldn't let him. And now in the other case of when a constructor is so good that driver performances doesn't matter that much, I would give it to Valtteri Bottas in 2019 and 2020. Valtteri Bottas compared to Lewis Hamilton was not up there. Valtteri Bottas was definitely not the best driver on the grid. He was probably somewhere in the mid-range. But then he was always getting those second places. The car was so good that it just eradicated the competition for him. And sure, there was some times in 2020 when he didn't get second place, but he still got second place comfortably in the championship by the end of it. He didn't prove any challenge to Hamilton because Hamilton was the much better driver in that point. But this shows that you give a really, really good car to a mediocre driver and the driver will still perform where you need him to perform. See, you can make that argument about Valtteri Bottas and everything, but you have to consider just the context of 2023. And obviously, Red Bull's car is miles faster than any other car. Like, they are, they are really, really, they are really, really good car. But on the other hand, there's Perez. Perez has the exact same car as Max Verstappen, but the position that he's in, in terms of the drivers' championships, he is right there up with... He's having a competitive, competitive fight with Hamilton right now. With Hamilton, a guy that is that is like second slower than the Red Bull. So, yeah, but... Second slower at the start of the year. All the other teams have definitely caught up to Red Bull. Like, they haven't come caught up side by side, but they've definitely closed the gap down. And then when we put in context to the first couple of races in the season, sure, we could argue that Perez's form was up there and everything. But then Perez was performing in the first set of season. And even when he had his little bad qualifying, but still in the race, it was because the car was letting him push through because the car was faster and all the other teams were not as developed as Red Bull. So it, I would say Perez is another showing of when you have a car that's miles ahead of the competition, you can get that P2. The moment the cars catch up a bit, that's when the driver starts falling. But also, Perez's could be shown to everything else. But then, still, the point that I'm going to make at the end of the year is that Perez, at the start of the year, when the Red Bull was miles, miles ahead, Perez was performing P2. He was giving the results. And there were some times when he was also going first, but he was still getting those P2 easy. And that's what allowed him to push so far ahead in championship P2. Well, that's a fair point. I'll give you that point. But just... I'm gonna look at like specific statistics. If you think about if you think about like the difference between say quality positions. So you are doing one quick lap and it's it's about making zero mistakes on that perfect lap to be as fast as possible. And the laps are pretty quick, obviously, and it's based on how fast the guard is. But even if you consider that, uh if you look at the average quality position this season, 
Max Verstappen is third, while uh, is third on the quality position, while Perez is ninth, and then there's uh, there's the Stroll and Alonso sixth and twelfth, and there's so many just disparities between the two drivers, which is crazy, and it shows that driver talent to get that fastest lap and even driver talent to get a position on the grid just matters so much. Yeah, but then, all right, now let's get to the Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll. So, Fernando Alonso, Alonso and Lance Stroll, they definitely don't have the best car on the grid. And it shows that with the fact of how other teams can put them. And when they are in a competitive part, it obviously matters more in the driver. But then at the same time, the car has been given to Alonso for him to push high and not perform at Stroll's level. So now, obviously, it doesn't completely counter your point. But it does bring up the fact that the car is what allowed Alonso to fight up there. And just having the car in the competitive zone will bring up the differences in the driver. But then, starting by my main point, where you have a car that is right up there, the driver doesn't really matter. Because no matter what, the car will push out the results. See, while there is some merit to your, your point, you just have to look at the F1 driver standings. So if it was a 1-2-1 one, one team, 3-4 another team, and 5-6 another team, if it was like that, I would completely agree with you. That means that everything is based on how fast you are as a car and all of that. But the fact is that there's still competition between the drivers, which shows that despite having the exact same car as your teammate, you st- uh, there's still a lot of disparity b- between where you're placed. So Hamilton is driving a lot better than George Russell. And... Since you made the point about Lance Stroll and Alonso, both Hamilton and, and Russell are both told are both told that both of you are competent drivers, and this I don't believe that there's any second driver in the Mercedes team because both of them believe that they're better than each other, and neither of them are told that you're going to be the tester of the tires, you're going to be the tester of this in the Mercedes teams. So both of them are placed at the exact same level, but Hamilton is just a better driver this season. So Ham- that's the reason why Hamilton is in third, while Russell is all the way down at eighth. So you have to consider the fact that driver talent and just competency as a driver plays a big role. Just uh, just looking at the difference difference between how fast they are on the track and where they place in races. Right, so I said driver competency plays a big role, but then if we take it to the car that is dominating the Red Bull... We know that Sergio Perez, compared to Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez is not up there at all. He is not performing. But where is he on the championship? Yeah, he's second. he's second. But if you compare it based on points, he has half the amount of points as Max Verstappen. And that's a big difference. That is a big okay, difference. But he is still up there for Red Bull, for the car. Sergio Perez is still beating everyone else who is not in the Red Bull. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not denying that the car matters. Car matters. I... And all and and all of Sergio Perez is credit, especially in the second half of the season, of why he's not lower than then. I find not not all. I'll be a bit kind to Perez. Most of his credit can be given to the fact that he was driving a rocket ship, like even some big drivers. I remember just reading about it a couple of times that when everyone was commenting about Perez being able to perform in the races and coming back, everyone said that. When you're in a rocket ship like that, there's no way you're not going to go down. And Perez proves that when he was in a rocket ship in the first half of the season, he was able to make it back after his terrible qualifying performances. And in the second half of the, the season, that, that rocket ship has not been as fast as it... Not as fast. As fast compared to the other teams as it was at the start of the season. And 
See, I'm not saying that the car doesn't matter. I'm genuinely not. Like, I tomorrow if I watch a race, I'm not expecting Logan Sargent or an Alpha Tauri to come on the podium or even make it into Q1. I'm in Q3. I'm not going to. But you have to consider the fact that there is a difference between the two drivers, and one driver is going to be faster than the other, and just that's purely based on talent. And despite the fact that there are few cars that are going to obviously going to be a lot faster than the others and that is the primary that is the primary judging mechanic it is unfair to say that the driver competency and talent as a driver does not define the position of the track because if it was on the basis of that i feel it would be a lot more structured positions and the gap between the drivers purely in terms of points would be very similar like if it was purely based on just the constructor and driver talent wasn't that significant there would be about maybe a 300-300 between a 300-250 between Max and Perez and then there would be a Mercedes-Mercedes then Aston and Aston, Ferrari-Ferrari, whatever it is. But there would be less competition between teams because of the fact that the drivers are expected to be equal which is not the case in the current climate of F1. Yeah, so although driver competency does matter I would say having a more competent car matters because now just giving you two instances one instance is when you have a competent car but a semi-competent driver another instance is when you have a competent driver and a semi-competent is and a semi-competent car so starting with the first one competent car not semi-competent driver we can take Valtteri Bottas in 2020 because he's one of the best examples of this he had the best car on the grid probably the fastest car in F1 and he was performing there in P2 and if Lewis Hamilton just wasn't there, Valtteri Bottas would have gotten the championship. So it shows of how although Valtteri Bottas was nowhere near the best driver of that year, he was just a driver that was there, he was a driver who served as a second place, he would have won the championship because the car was very capable. And now the second scenario where you have an extremely competent sorry, we have an extremely competent car, I mean competent driver, but not a, but a mediocre competent car is well so many times in F1 when we see a seat being used unwell there is Pierre Gasly in this in his start when he moved back to Todd Ross and when he switched to AlphaTauri he was there getting podiums and everything but he couldn't challenge the championship because the car wasn't competent enough and we have seen this so many times in Formula 1 now even this year Oscar Piastri and Lando Norris they can definitely challenge Max Verstappen. But you know why they can't right now? Because their car is not competent enough. Charles Leclerc last year, he could have fought Verstappen for the championship for a much longer time. But the Ferrari car and the Ferrari team wasn't competent enough. Lewis Hamilton could have definitely fought multiple times in the championship last year. But, I mean, in last year and the year before that. Or any driver could have fought with for the championship. But the biggest issue they faced is that their car wasn't competent enough. I, I guess I will agree to the fact that that uh, that the constructor and the car is the most important factor. I will go back and I, but I'll still hold on to the fact that once you get to the once you get to the fact that that is the most important factor. Driver's competency is a very big. He has his video on and he's throwing balloons in my face. 
I hate so him so driver much. Competency is important, but it is not as important as constructive competency. And I mean, I've just overruled you in a debate. And you're one of the students who go for mud in debate competitions and everything. And I've taken the W over here. But, but one thing I want you to agree on driver competency is going to be so much more. Okay, I'm I'm changing my tab. I'm not looking in your face anymore. <laughs> but if it was a if it was just a thing about driver competency and there was less disparity about cars, F1 would be a lot more interesting. F1 would be a, would be a in lot that more case, In that case, if driver competency is all that matters to you, Formula Two would be for you because Formula Two it matters only on driver competency because there's no such thing as car competency because it's spec series everyone races the same car then in that case it comes up to driver talent that's how people can pick out the best drivers from F2 because out of all those Good. drivers the drivers are driving the same car and that's when they're able to show their their trueness I'm sure if F1 was spec series maybe it would have been a, a lot more entertaining but then also having the showing how good a constructor is is one of the hard points of F1 and well as we now agree on the constructor is more important. So with my ego completely shattered, we will go to the next topic <laughs> of discussion. And I was wondering if we could actually start with driver analysis of one driver. You just maybe talk about for five, 10 minutes. The first driver I would like to talk about is the brilliant Lance Stroll, son of Lawrence Stroll. And there is the only description that you need to know about him. That is the only description you need to know about him. All right. Lance Stroll. My God. My God. He is quite the driver is all I'm going to say. Not not good driver. Definitely not good driver. If anything, somewhere to the low. Sure, maybe when he started off in 2017, he had that one big podium I remember. I had heard about. I don't remember because I'd have watched 2017. But then he had that one big podium and... There have been times when I started watching in 2019 where I'm like, yeah, Stroll is a pretty good driver. But if we come to 2021 and we see what an actually good driver is like in that car, that is Fernando Alonso, we definitely know Stroll is not enough. And one of the biggest pissing off things about Lance Stroll, and one thing that I would call one of the biggest tragedies tragedies in Formula 1, is the fact that Lance Stroll is glued to that seat with nothing but money supplied from his daddy. And last episode, you were actually talking about how Andretti should join uh, should join F1 purely because there's so much more talent there and it's going to be a more competitive thing that's going on. This is the reason why there's the amount of politics in F1. And I believe Sainz's father is also a motorsports legend, I think. Sainz's father is a motorsports yeah, legend. Is. He's a rally legend. Yeah, but there has not been one time where that has been his legacy. Like when you look at science racing, there is an element of talent. He acts, he has genuine talent and he deserves to have a spot solidified in Ferrari. Maybe if he has a, if he has a bad season, we know that if he underperforms, he's going to have concerns with his team. But the fact that Lance Stroll has his ass glued to the seat of the Aston Martin car when he does not deserve it by any means, considering that there are hundreds of drivers in F2 and F3 and so many other leagues who are so much more competent than him, is just one of the biggest scandals in F1, in my opinion. We have seen incompetent 
paid drivers all across F1 so many times and not only F1 we've seen many other times and others in other racing series as well obviously one of the best incompetent drivers uh, example has been Nicholas Latifi or even Mahavir Raghunathan which coming from an Indian I hate saying his name for the shame he brought to us but <clears throat> anyways Nicholas Latifi yeah the only reason he was in that William seat is because he was rich as hell but the only thing is that there was a is that Nicholas's Latifi dad never owned Williams so then there was a point where Williams could kick him out and that point was very much there Stroll has crossed the point but the problem is his dad has power over Aston Martin so his seat is never going to go like I'm not even sure if Stroll like, like obviously Stroll will have a proper signed contract but like it will probably be one of the most basic contracts ever like he might not even get a salary or might just be giving salary to the team because his dad owns the team now we've seen that paid drivers they can get taken out if they have really bad performances but Stroll can never get taken out because literally his dad will not allow that and his dad controls a lot of stuff in the team it's really unfortunate it's one of the great tragedy tragedies of formula 1 but if you um so this purely coming off a drive to survive watcher uh in the first season he goes up and he says uh, i was born with a silver st- uh, spoon in my mouth but in my first f- in my rookie f1 season i'm starting the race in the front row and I'm getting podiums that was the peak and the highlight of his career when everyone was saying that he's a decent driver in the most competent williams in the most competent williams has been in the last 8 years and ever since then his career has just gone so downhill but the fact that his father can still keep him afloat is just a disgrace to f1 honestly and undoubtedly at the start Lance Stroll looked really impressive you know especially he joined at an extremely young age and then he was performing really well everyone's like oh yeah this driver he might not be his daddy's wallet but then he dropped off really badly and he dropped off really hard and now it's very easy to say that he is just someone who comes from his daddy's wallet maybe at the start if he kept his performances people would have been like yeah he's a driver who deserves to be on the grid but then especially with this year one compared to a really good driver for Alonso we can just see that Lance Stroll is not a driver who's meant to be on the grid and even i know for a fact that if Lance Stroll's dad was never there and if Lance Stroll was just a general paid driver from sponsors he would have still been removed because his performances have been that depressing and there are so many more people who could perform in that Aston Martin seat because that Aston Martin is a really good car. It is a car that can that's easily in the midfield battle and if you put a good driver in there someone who can support Fernando at least some someone who can at least support Fernando not 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 be on the level of Fernando but support Fernando would get Aston Martin so many more points and so and just get them miles ahead better results than whatever the hell Stroll is doing right now. and it just clearly shows of how bad Stroll has been especially this year and it's just sad that that Lawrence Stroll has made his money going into the team contingent on his son having a seat but it's it's just a, not a good look for the team of Aston Martin Aston Martin has been a pretty competitive team for their while here last year they had Vettel performing pretty decently and they've done well ever since they've come into F1 but if you just look at the difference between the alonso and lot uh, and lance stroll 
183 points compared to 47. Fourth in the Drivers' Championship compared to 10th. So arguably, arguably, Aston Martin has the started with the second best car and now maybe has the third or fourth best car. But wherever they are, uh, Lance Stroll should not be in 10th. He should be easily breaking the top five. He, based on his car, he should be outperforming the signs and the clock and should be at the same level as George Russell and Hamilton, purely based on his car. But he's just failing to perform over and over and over again. And he's getting 19th in qualifying. Uh, something that is on the basis of how fast your car is, and basically on the basis of how fast your car is, he's coming 19th in qualifying. Behind, uh, behind. He's being knocked out of Q1 regularly. That is unacceptable. Especially Fernando Alonso, who brings it into Q3 regularly, and his teammates just being knocked out in Q1. That is unacceptable. Especially... Now, uh, you should see this one video. It's by Tomo F1. He's a very big YouTuber and a big content creator when it comes to Formula 1. He made this one video where he calculated the results that if there were two Lance Strolls in the team instead of one, and if there were two Fernando Alonso's in the team instead of uh, Alonso and Stroll, so he could just compare and show of how much the disparity of Alonso and Stroll has been, and it was shocking. Like, I'm pretty sure if there were two Alonzos in the team, then Aston Martin would have been comfortably second in the championship. Second. <laughs> but because of how bad Lance Stroll has been and because of how unacceptable he has been in his performances, Aston Martin are struggling for fourth. McLaren is on their tail, catching them. And it's just Fernando Alonso fighting fighting them. Alonso's trying when the car is not there. And he's trying his hardest. And sure, maybe Stroll is trying his hardest, but it's simply not enough. He cannot have that seat. He he shouldn't be allowed to have that seat. There should be a limit. But then for simply the worst thing for Stroll, that limit does not exist. Because the limit is just covered up in a bunch of $100 bills and checks. Completely agree. Completely But Stroll is past his limit. But because cash is king, and because cash rules everything around everyone, and because cash is one of the biggest drivers in Formula 1 and the world, we have drivers like Lance Stroll who can take up a really good seat instead of a talented driver who really, really will make the most of it. It's really sad to see, but unfortunately, it's the reality, and we have seen talented drivers who just simply haven't had enough money to get in a seat. Callum Eilat is one of them. Callum Eilat is very talented and he was fighting Mick Schumacher and I think he's definitely much better driver than Mick Schumacher but because he doesn't come from a lot in Stroll background, he wasn't able to get a Formula 1 seat at the... He wasn't able to get a Formula 1 seat. And It's just really sad to see of how in the world it's cash that rules everything and when it rules it to such an extent when you have Lance Stone driving around in a green Aston Martin. And same thing for the F2 drivers. They are all competing for that one spot uh, one spot, and their dream is getting to F1 and there's someone whose who's daddy is a billionaire who's just getting in with no merit and undeserving of keeping his seat. And it's just crazy. But moving on from the topic... Yeah. Marjil and I, for new F1 fans who may be your typical Drive to Survive fans and haven't, don't watch F1 and don't understand F1, 
So we'd like to talk about some of the specific nuances of F1 that that viewers may not understand. So we could break it down and explain it to make it easier for you. So Marjit, you can start. All right, now just gonna give you a bit of, a bit of background. For me personally, one of the biggest reasons I love F1 is because of the technology behind it, the innovations, this, that, and I am looking to become an engineering student in the future. So obviously I have the natural talent to just look towards F1 in the technical aspect. And it is mind blowing. Those, those cars are mind blowing. So as we know, there was the big regulation change that happened in 2022. And I'll start with that because they brought back a band concept of the issue. Oh I forgot the name. Yeah, the the ground tunnel, the venturi tunnels, which which give a really solid ground effect to the cars. Now, it's extremely physics and science related the way these venturi tunnels work. So I'm just gonna try my best to break it down for the lot of you. So, the way the venturi tunnels work is it takes the concept of how there's a gap in the pressure of air and how the gap in the pressure of air can cause suctions. So now we know that the cars run extremely low and what happens is the reason why after the regulation change the floor designs were extremely important is because the floor is one of the biggest producers of downforce and it's mainly what is under the car. So what we can see when the car runs through the air, now the air has a lot of volume, like it's basically infinite when where the gases are. But in the moment they go under the car, there is not much space. And this not much space causes an increase in pressure and causes the gases to move at a faster speed. And what that does is that creates a suction effect. So you effectively have a suction effect of, from the floor to the ground. And that allows a lot of downforce creation. Not from your typical the air pushing the car down, but it's more towards the air pulling the car down. And it's it's really beautiful physics phenomena when you're able to completely understand it. It goes around the entire playing pressure of air and it was discovered by this scientist called Venturi back in the 1800s and it's great to see of how this concept has been implemented into modern day Formula 1 cars. And it's crazy because normal downforce, it creates drag along with it. The more downforce, the more drag. It's like a direct relationship. But in this case, it doesn't create much drag because it goes under the car and it comes out without and it comes without hitting anything. And just because the changes in pressure causes suction, while normal downforce, it hits something and pushes the car down. So it's great to see this technical innovation, and it has also allowed the cars to reach much higher top speeds than they would in 2019 or 2018. So I'm really happy to see the way the ground, the ground floor effect, the the wind, the entire. Venturi tunnel effect has been brought back and speaking about higher top speeds one of the most simpler topics and the one of the simpler technical nuances in F1 is the drag reduction system which Duck shall explain to you. So the basic concept of physics and how fast something moves is obviously the amount the, le the less amount of drag it has the less amount of air resistance it has to face the faster car and obviously cars want to be as fast as possible. So something that you obviously must have noticed is on those streets where two cars are competing and you're hearing David Croft scream, uh, Hamilton has DRS or, and the word DRS is essentially a flap in a car that is allowed to be opened up if two cars are within a certain distance of each other, which is one, one second. second. So if you're within one second of the car ahead of you, 
you are allowed to open this flap, which adds 15, uh, 10 to 15 kilometers to the speed of your car. So, and that 10 to 15 kilometers is a lot in if you think about the fact that you're uh, trying to compete with the car and you're trying to get behind them. So in the DRS zones, which are on the straights of every race, uh, which are on the straights of every racetrack, every car, that's the opportunity for most cars to get their overtakes, if not on corners. All right, so now more technical in the way DRS works. So it's a flap that goes up, so we can see sometimes on the straight, these cars just have a little bit of their car that looks missing on the rear wing. That's because there's a flap in the rear wing that turns up. And so what happens is when the air passes through, it will not make contact with the rear wing and go up, pushing the car down. Instead, it goes right through. And because it's able to slip through the car much easier, it reduces the amount of drag it causes. And the less drag, the more top speed you can get, which is essentially the way the DRS system works. Now, obviously, the traditional downforce is when air hits something, goes up and pushes the car down. And that way, we can see it almost all throughout the car. The rear wing is one of the biggest places. The diffuser is one of the places that pushes the air up and the front wing as well. And now it's not only the fact of that you just want to make sure that the front wing gets all as much downforce as it can because the front wing is the initial point of contact that the car has with the air. So you want to make sure as well as the front wing producing a lot of downforce, it can channel the air in such a way that it flows through the car and it's able to go to the other aspects of the car that can produce downforce. And no one does this as good as Red Bull. Now, I'll get to that in a bit, but I'll first just speak about how the entire concept of downforce creation works. So, according to Newton's third law of motion, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. We can see that the air will hit something pointed upwards. The air will go up, and that leaves a force on the car going down. And this allows the cars to go more down into the ground. And because they can be more planted on the ground, they can take corners at much higher speed, which when we know in Formula 1, cornering speed is extremely important. And not only is it important to make sure that one side of the car can do it, but, it's make but you have to make sure that the entire car is balanced. And this effectively brings the concept of oversteer and understeer, where understeer is when the front downforce of the car is not enough. So, you so although you don't have a car that slides around, you just have a car that can't turn at high speeds, while if you have too much front downforce and not enough rear downforce, the rear of the car cannot keep up with the speed that the front of the car is going with throughout a corner and it will cause oversteer, it will snap the rear and we see it a lot with spins when the drivers are trying to push their car as much as they can but they push it a bit too much and they end up spinning because the rear downforce can't keep up with the amount of downforce the front is producing. I'm an economics student by the way so that is completely foreign to me. <laughs> But that was actually a pretty good explanation and one more concept that is pretty common in F1. Wait, wait, wait. Before yeah. we move, before we move, one of the biggest ways of our team can see the way that this works is through using the flow vis paint. So in practices, especially in preseason testing, you will see cars come out and it looks like they have a new livery because they have this neon green paint painted all over the side of the car. This is called Flovis paint and what it essentially is, is it's wet paint that's put on the side of the cars. So as the car moves, we can see the way that the wind interacts with the paint. The wind will push the paint in the way that the wind goes, right? So this is a way of how we can visualize the movements of the wind because the paint moves with the wind. So we can visualize the way that the wind moves across the car and this allows the engineers to get data and see how the wind is behaving 
And another place where, and this is where you can see a lot, and this is when Formula One really gets beautiful for tech people. It is in the rain, because in the rain you can see the water going along the along the aero lines of the car, and especially when you go in the back and see the way the venturi tunnels work and the vortex it produces in the end. Beautiful is the only word I will use to describe it. So, uh, so just another concept that I'm gonna explain slightly, and then Mars is gonna explain the physics of it is something called the slipstream of a car. So slipstream is also very common. And essentially when two cars go right behind each other, the car behind is, does not have to cut through the wind because they are in the slipstream of another car. And the car in front of them it has, to, uh, the car in front of them is taking up all of the wind resistance. And you behind, obviously you're facing less resistance and thus you're using less uh, of the power of your car and you're in a lower gear, not a lower gear necessarily, but you're using less power or less force of the car and less energy. And hence, if you're on a slipstream, what often cars do, and the most common strategy of overtaking another car, the most common strategy of overtaking another car is getting the slipstream of the car ahead of you, and then uh, going uh, towards the right or the left. And since you have a higher pace and you're using max energy, you're gonna be fast in the car ahead of you. So that is the general concept of a slipstream. And I guess now Mars is going to speak about the engineering aspect and so on to that. Yes, yeah, so it's extremely simple. The way that slipstreaming works, essentially the air is right there. And obviously a lot of air causes a lot of drag. So what you have is the car in front of you basically punches a hole in the air. And then it just leaves the air wide open and there's less air in that pocket. So then the car behind is able to go through with less drag. Which is why when you stay right behind a car, the car in front is just punching the air. And making a hole in the air that the car behind can pass through with less drag. And essentially gain more speed on the car ahead. Although it's really good in the streets, it's not good in the corners. Because in the corners, when the car going through corners, it messes up the entire aerodynamics. So then the way that the car approaches air will be in completely messy places, which is why that is called dirty air and that hinders a lot of the car's downforce. That's an interesting concept, actually. So all of these, like the way that most people understand, I guess, is what I know. But like when you go into like the specific engineering, it's actually a lot more interesting. Now... To end off this episode, we know that the US Grand Prix is next weekend. So let's just make a couple of predictions. We'll predict the podium and any big shot shockers that we will see. So I'm just going to say that Max Verstappen, first place, obviously. And this time, I'm actually going to say it's going to be George Russell followed by Lando Norris because I kind of feel like the Mercedes will work really well in Kota and not and the McLaren will not work as well as we've seen. I would I would agree with that. Because considering the fact that last year was like a brilliant race, by the way. But last year, uh, Russell had that five-second penalty, but he was racing really well. And so was Hamilton, actually. And if it wasn't for that... and But there is one thing that I would disagree. And I feel you would be really happy about this. I believe that Charles Clerk is going to make the podium. Just considering the fact of how well he raced last year, his overtakes on Perez through the corners, his over his defending against uh, Max Verstappen with perfectly good tires, which were which uh, became warmer a lot faster, 
and he was defending against him so well with the switcheroo and everything last race. I feel that the Ferrari is going to be really fast in this race and so is going to be uh, the McLaren just based in history. And obviously, Verstappen is going to be first. But I feel that second place is going to be a really good battle between either one of the Mercedes and Charles Leclerc. But it's going to be... Yeah, but your comments on Ferrari. So, the biggest issue Ferrari have faced this year is tyre deck through overheating and Kota being a track where the tyres warm up really quickly. The reason why I haven't set Charles Leclerc on the podium because I feel like Ferrari are going to face big issues with tyre deck. But who knows, Charles is pretty good at this track. He can pull out a madness. And one big thing we're anticipating is Haas to make big upgrades. But I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't think it's going to work out. I do not think Haas is going to come with as big as a package as I'm saying. Sure, they'll have minor improvements, but it's not going to be anything significant. So, I feel just uh, basing it off of constructors. I think that Perez is going to do... Decently, he's going to make the top five. But he's going to be, I think, fifth place in this race. And fourth place is going to be uh, either a McLaren or a Mercedes. But first, the in terms of constructors, the Red Bull are obviously going to be the fastest. And second, it's going to be the Mercedes, followed by... I, I still believe that the Ferrari is going to be really fast in this track, followed by the McLarens and Aston Martins. That's my personal opinion. That is a very interesting take. And one more thing, I feel like this is going to be Logan Sargent's best performance, mainly because of the entire home race thing. I think he's going to be top 15. I have some hope for the guy, because I like the guy, Logan Sargent. He's nice. I say DQ. I just want to see him do well. I say DQ. <laughs> really? Really disqualified? He's going to get like a stomach pain in the middle of the race. DQ, gone. So, you know what? You, 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 you know, I think that's, that, that's enough today. It's been... A very long episode today. I think that will be the end of it. So, guys, uh, the Pit Lane China podcast, episode three, off season episodes. Expect a bunch more of this coming up, especially since we have the winter break. In the winter break, we're gonna we have an entire structure which we will share soon, and we're also looking to get a couple of guests in during the winter break. So definitely stay tuned in for that. So that has been it for episode three. Obviously, as you know, our Instagram handle is. At, at the Pitlane Chatter but <laughs> So, episodes Monday, 10pm, IST without fail, unless there's obviously an exception with the race time zones and everything. But that should be it for today, right? Yes, so we hope you enjoyed. Follow us on Instagram, Spotify, all of our handles are in the link, uh, are in the link of our Spotify. So we hope you enjoyed our episode and for this week of the Pitlane Chatter, We will see you next week. Thank you for watching.